Time check? Just after dusk? Perfect. Thank you, Virgil. Is this thing working? Alright. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SS Fool's Guide to the Occult. I'm channeling Karen, and I will be your captain as we take a journey down the River Styx, just skirting around the depths of Hades this evening. And as we do, we will be discussing a great deal on how to communicate and work with our lovely ancestors. However, before we begin the journey, I do need to remind you of a few things. Most importantly, if you have not paid your travel fee, we will be checking midway through the journey. Those of you who have not provided the relevant offerings will be jettisoned from the vessel. Furthermore, I must remind you to keep your arms, legs, peg legs, hooks, and other body parts inside the boat at all times. As we move along, it is considered generous to make offerings to the dead, especially if you are here to ask for their blessings or aid in doing some kind of work. All spirits have preferences towards specific gifts, but if you do not have a relationship established with any of those we encounter along our way, we do have some basic recommendations. Coins and other currency are always welcome among the dead, and extra planers alike. This is why you were asked to drop four coins at the gate with Nettie before entering this evening, and why you were required to pay cash in advance for your ticket. Cash is king, after all. Beyond that, liquor is generally accepted, particularly whiskey and rum, as are flowers and smoke, such as tobacco, incense, and some folks are also quite fond of cannabis, too. If you're having second thoughts about traveling with us this evening, uh, this is your last opportunity to get off before we set sail, as we will literally be taking a trip into hell and back. You're all committed? Alrighty then. Good. Here we go. Now, folks, some of you may be aware of this already, but there are many types of ancestors. There are those that are your blood relatives, your ma and pa, and folks stretching back along your line into the beginning of humanity some 200,000 years ago. But a little-known fact about working with ancestral spirits, anyway, is that you can also work along the line you are bound into through hand-fasting, marriage, and the like. Um, hang on a minute, folks. Little boy in the back. In the back of the boat, boy, in the back. Hey, kid, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you. Sit down. Don't be reaching up into those holes in the cave ceiling. Hungry ghosts hang out up there. Unless you want to get dragged off into Hades only knows where, I'd recommend you follow the rules. Thank you. Now, what was I saying? Oh, right. So, not all ancestors are of our bloodline. Sometimes we have spirits we can work with who are from a path we have been initiated into, or from an adoptive family, and so forth. One might also consider uh, those who share a specific aspect of life as ancestors. For example, a specific vocation, like metalworking, or perhaps uh, political martyrs with whom we share a common cause. In this sense, I might consider Sacco and Vanzetti members of my affinity ancestry. Oh, look. Hey, they're over there right now. Toss them some bread. Despite the fact that you can establish a relationship with all kinds of ancestors, it is important to build a strong relationship with your blood ancestry if you can, as it will go a long way in terms of defending you from things on the spiritual plane, the mirror world, or other spiritual energies that may intend you harm. Likewise, establishing a strong relationship with a saint, arhat, or other patron entity can boost such a relationship. 
But perhaps that is a separate tour after all. Maybe link up with Mr. Alighieri on the way out tonight. I believe that is covered in his three-part tour of the Three Realms of the Dead. He goes much deeper into the Inferno than we will travel today, which may be quite a thrill for some of you to say the least. But since we are talking of other kinds of spirits at the moment, a prudent practitioner of any occult path will keep in mind the presence of land and house spirits, honor them, and at least be peripherally aware of the presence of our non-human ancestral lineage. Now this next chamber of the cave is where we will find the hungry dead. They are particularly fine and dandy unless we forget to feed them. In many cultures, it is proper to regularly offer our ancestors food and incense for sustenance. Without this, they will wither away. So consider, at the very least, offering up some smoke for your beloved dead. In hoodoo, this is most commonly done with tobacco smoke, but in many Asian cultures, incense is traditional. It is also important to make offerings when asking for something. As Mallory Valdois put it, a spell is a prayer in three dimensions, though I would argue it's really four, at least four, at any rate. Uh, the incense and candle we burn, the gesture we make, offerings we present forth, and uh, the language of symbols we use to communicate our desire to the dearly departed and the universe at large. You may not be able to present smoke with your, uh, within your home for various reasons. This is fine. Perhaps uh, the most simple offering is a small portion of each meal on a small white plate. Just be considerate and avoid foods with a lot of salt. Salt is for banishing, after all. Now, the dead don't need as much food as we do, but they would love to share meals with you. It is important, though, that when they're done, do not throw their food in the trash or your garbage disposal. This is considered disrespectful. Find a place outside to leave the remains of this offering so that the earth may reclaim it by various means. If you are not going to offer food to them every day, at the very least, please, please, please make them a plate anytime there is a gathering in the home. Uh, for a formal occasion or a holiday or something of the like. Be sure to serve the honorable dead first. Speaking of which, before we continue down the river, please offer the hungry dead some of that lovely baguette you were given uh, before getting into the boat this evening. Thank you, and on we go. Ah, yes, folks, please duck your heads as we go under this portion of the hanging group of stalactites. You don't want to get poked by one of these buggers. You'll get that rock disease like Jorah Mormont, and we'll have to keep you here for all of time. The last outbreak of this that made it to the surface led to the collapse of the Roman Empire, so duck. All right, folks, so we're going to need to dock on the shore for a moment. As you can see, the path ahead is blocked by a wall of iridescent flames. In order to travel any further down the river, each of us must make the appropriate offering to our dearest departed. In order to do that, I must first teach you how to erect an ancestral altar and make such offerings. So, out of the boat, folks. Don't worry about getting your little feetsies wet. Remember Achilles? You'll only end up with the opposite situation of him. It's pretty good for impressing your friends by walking on glass and hot coals. Now, folks, before we go touching anything, there are some things to keep in mind. First off, please do not touch anyone else's ancestral altar, or really anyone else's altar, period, without their permission, ever. You'll see there are thousands of altars in the crevices of the rock wall and in this entire outcropping in the cave together, 
In fact, we are going to be moving new visitors to the outcropping on the other side of the river soon as we are running out of space, as you can clearly see. Please do not disturb anyone else's altar or their ancestors might be paying you a very unpleasant visit. When it comes to altar construction, there aren't uh, any hard and fast rules. It's really whatever resonates with you and what you feel would uh, speak to those who came before you. Altars can be made of wood, stone, metal, or glass. I would caution you against overly manufactured and synthetic materials. For those reasons, glass is uh, pushing the limits a bit. Uh, it does occur naturally when lightning strikes in the desert, but plastic is a no-no in my book for the most part. In terms of dimensions, it simply must be big enough to hold your ancestral objects, which we will talk about in a moment, uh, as well as your offerings. The only real size limitation is that it must be practical within the confines of your space. That said, we ask that you make something relatively small here, as the likelihood of you returning to this altar again in your lifetime is, well, relatively small, except for that kid over there. I'm fairly certain he will be sticking around. In terms of what to place on your altar, it is again a matter of personal taste and what is available to you. Each of you is asked to bring a photograph of a dearly departed loved one uh, with you this evening. This is for being placed upon the altar you will make here. In your home, you may include a variety of pictures of your ancestors. Photographs and relevant artifacts help create a similar link or tag lock to your dearly departed, except unlike with an effigy, this one works the other way around. Uh, it helps them affect you. As you place objects on your altar, be sure to give thanks to the specific spirit by name. I will caution you, however, against placing pictures that contain someone who is still living upon the altar. This is an altar for the dead. To place a picture of the living family members upon the altar would be to call them to the other side. Since your ancestral altar is a place of love and not to be used for negative magic, the only time you would do this is in the case of a living relative who is in great pain and wishes to pass on to the other side but is unable to receive assisted suicide for one reason or another. Other objects you may put on your altar are objects of significance uh, to the individual ancestors, a favorite piece of jewelry, a toy, a scrap of cloth, and so forth. Many may choose to cover their altar in cloth, often white. You may include objects for presenting offerings, such as a simple white candle, an incense burner, a small white plate for food, a cup of water, for, or a cup for coffee or liquor. On my altar, I have a deck of playing cards used only with my ancestral divination, a fate coin, again for something very similar, and two books of family genealogy. Also, my altar is set up in a very specific and intentional way. It consists of four hanging shelves, each above each other, and getting smaller as they go up. The bottom shelf is slightly below waist level. This is my working altar for general magical purposes. Above that is my ancestral altar, followed by the altar used to represent the two avatars of the higher power I utilize. Uh, so here you will find objects related to Eros and Thanatos. And finally, there is an empty shelf on top for the unknowable all, the capital T truth, the Tao, if you will. I should probably mention that there are some major don'ts when it comes to ancestral work as well. One of these involves having your altar in your bedroom, especially close to the bed, but it is generally advised to avoid the bedroom altogether if possible. 
this is because when you invite ancestors into your home, into your altar, they're considered ever-present, and they certainly don't want to watch what's going on in your bed and who it's going on with. Likewise, you should never approach your altar while what is considered spiritually unclean, in other words, after intercourse with yourself or another. Likewise, you should not be doing any sort of negative magic near your ancestral altar and should try to keep an energy of calm around it. Always provide your ancestors with the first taste of home-cooked foods. Now, we spoke of different offerings when we began our journey, and since you will not be returning to this altar to refresh any offerings such as food and water, I recommend coins, letters, trinkets of importance, or other objects of value. Once everyone is done, the fire should be clear, and we'll board the boat again and be on our way. Now, go ahead, get to it. I'll just add some uh, something to my own altar here, and uh, there we go. And while you're working, let us talk a little bit about ofrendas. Now, this is certainly just for a little bit of cultural enrichment, folks. If you are not a member of this tradition, I recommend not doing any of this because it would be cultural appropriation and not very appropriate at all. But an ofrenda is an altar erected during Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, which is a day celebrating dead loved ones. Altars during this time are often elaborate and colorful, this celebration is an example of synergy of the traditional Aztec practices that merged with Catholicism when the Spanish conquistadors overthrew their empire and occupied the land that would become Mexico. The ofrenda can be in the home of the individual or at the individual grave site of the person it is to represent. On these altars, in addition to photographs, folks will place their favorite foods and drinks, that is, the favorite food and drinks of the loved one, as an offering to help nourish the spirits so that they can make their long journey home to visit. Calaveras, which are colorful painted skulls representing the vitality of life and the personality of the ancestor, are also placed there. Additionally, there is pan de muertos, uh, this is a common offering as well. These are semi-sweet breads baked in various traditional shapes uh, that represent the soul. There is papel picado, or cut tissue paper. This is delicately decorated and cut tissue paper representing the wind and fragility of life. This will often be on or above altars. There are luminares, or candlelights. The light represents the fire that helps guide the deceased back to visit the land of the living. This is a common feature among many, many traditions that involve ancestor veneration. Another common object within this practice is the use of the Mexican marigolds, a flower that represents the beauty of life and the circle of life and death. Though not a controllable aspect of Dia de los Muertos, Monarch butterflies, which migrate to Mexico each fall, were believed to be the spirits of the deceased coming back to visit. And that's not just some nonsense from Venture Brothers. That's a true fact, and I'm not even Z. Frank. You can see all of these things at work in the 2017 animated film Coco. And I'm not a huge fan of watching children's films, but this one's really cool, so check it out if you haven't already. All right, folks, looks like you're all finished. Huh, that's odd. The flames haven't dissipated. Wait a minute. Kid, what's that in your hand? You sure as Hades did not bring that with you. Don't talk back to me, you little brat. I'm 5,000 years older than you. You done Augustus glooped yourself. Except instead of getting wedged in a pipe, you get to stay here forever with us. No. Let him go, sir. You failed. 
you apparently aren't capable of parenting your child, and now I'm taking that responsibility away from you. Unless you'd like to stay here in hell, I thought so. Now, kid, walk into the flame. That's it. It won't hurt much. I always love how the new tenants fade into ethereal form. You're lucky today, folks. Few living souls ever get to see this. Consider it a little bit of a bonus. But now that the flames are gone, back in the boat. It's time to get on our way. Ah, the next chamber here. Isn't this beautiful, folks? This is the Sea of the Dancing Dead. This is the beautiful part of the underworld where souls not deserving of damnation get to spend their eternity. Many of you will find your loved ones here among the aqua blue waters and crystalline rocks. But some of you might be wondering, once you've set up your ancestral altar in your home, how do you call your ancestors to come and visit? The easiest thing to do is simply open your doors, light a white candle, some sweet-smelling incense, and welcome them home. I would also recommend leaving them some water, as water is a substance through which they can pass into our world, communicate, and also it gives them sustenance. But, for those of you looking for something a little more formal, I would recommend you do everything I just mentioned, as well as adding the following. Of course, this is all after you have set up your altar to your ancestors, of course. The first thing you're going to want to do is to consider that you need to create a crossroads or an axis mundi. You can do this in any number of ways, any way you are already most comfortable with, or you can learn and practice a new way. Within the hoodoo tradition, this is done by presenting things to the four cardinal directions, beginning with east, then west, north, and finally south. In this tradition, you're going to present objects this way before setting them down each separately. However, if you are opting to create an axis mundi, simply present the objects before placing them on the altar. You can also develop your own personal style, of course, but the key point here is honoring, respecting, and intentional placement of objects. The first object that should go upon your altar is a white candle, which should be lit before it is placed. This is to guide your ancestors to your altar. The second is a glass of water that you have prepared for them. Remember, water is a means through which the spirits can communicate with our world. Sometimes I like to remind my students that all the water that we have within us right now is the water that has always been here. Some of the water in us was the same water that was in the dinosaurs, the great massive plants of old times, and of course, our ancestors. Hudu Sen Moist quotes a friend of his who discusses something similar. The point being, uh, look for your ancestors in the water. Ponder this. Next, you will place a plate of food, often fresh fruit or unsliced, unsalted, fresh bread, especially if it's homemade. Now remember, salt is a cleansing and banishing tool, so it should not ever be part of an offering to spirits unless it's buried at the bottom of an, off an offering when you're trying to do some kind of spirit trap. But you know what? That's not what we're here to talk about, folks. At this point, you want to bring something to sit on. Many folks have a dedicated chair or two, one left empty for the ancestors at their altar. This is important because you will want to make some time to sit and eat and speak with them especially in this initial meeting. Now, for this type of invitation, Sen Mois, as well as many others, recommend that you begin at dusk. Now, this is because this is the time when the door between worlds is just beginning to open, so you can catch your folks before they get started with any business they might have planned for the evening. You will want to call out specific names as an invocation, 
Don't worry if you can't trace your ancestral lineage back more than 100 years. You can always finish with something like, and all others who cleared the way for me to be in the here and now. Or however you'd like to dress it up at the end. It's your invocation, of course. Make it to fit your needs. After invoking your ancestors, thank them for everything they've done for you. Truly open yourself up, body and soul and heart and mind. Whatever you say does not need to be elaborate prose, but if that's your style, have at it. But regardless of what it is, make sure it's sincerely from your heart. They're your fam. They know the difference better than any other spirit. Don't try to pull one over on them. Next, you want to offer them the food that you've brought with you. They will partake of it, and you should eat some of it as well. Make sure that they're two separate plates. The plate for your ancestors is traditionally white. Just like in life, food helps facilitate communication. Think of family gatherings. People come together around food. The dead abide by this tradition as well. If you can have your ancestral altar in your dining room where you take meals, this is great. Uh, you should always share a bit of your home-cooked meals with them. They are the guest of honor, always, so they should eat first. As you eat together, speak with them. Tell them all about your day, what's going on in your life. Tell them whatever's on your mind, perhaps things you're concerned about or need help with. They will listen, and you should keep your mind open and look, feel, and listen for their response. It might not come right away. In fact, it probably won't. But it will come. Once you've spent some time, you may go about the rest of your evening or prepare for bed. Uh, when you put out the candle, though, do not blow it out. You should never extinguish the flame of life with the breath of life. You may clap or wave your hands over the top, lick your fingers and squeeze out the flame, use a candle snuffer, whatever. But do not blow it out. Now remember, their food should stay on the altar until some change has taken place showing that they've partaken of it. You will know when this happens. Do not throw their food in the trash, as I mentioned earlier on in our tour. If you can, take it to nature to be left, perhaps a corner of your yard under a special tree. I sometimes use the garbage disposal when I don't have the option to use a space nearby. This was more of a problem when I lived more directly in the city. Uh, sometimes folks will leave food out for a few days and then drop it off at a tree in a park on their way to work or something like that. Uh, this works if you live in the city, um, within an apartment building. If you must, if you absolutely must, the garbage disposal is okay. It's just not ideal. They understand. Just avoid the trash. Do not throw it in the trash. And of course, the most simple thing you can always do is just honor your ancestors. When you honor them, you are honoring yourself and respecting yourself. As Hoodoo Sen Moist put it, you are the living temple of your ancestors. They reside in your blood. You can't escape this. In this sense, a bit of your ancestors is always with you. But as many practitioners will point out, you must keep in mind that you are the ancestor who is alive at this point in space-time. You must choose what to do and what not to do, not them. When working with your ancestors, you do not have to do what they say. As Valdois explains, you are already the high priest or high priestess of this religion. I would add, though, that if you ask for assistance, like with any entity, and they pull through for you, you would better make an offering to them. Especially if a specific thing was promised, you must fulfill your end of the bargain, or the thing that you gained might just slip away just as easily. And speaking of slipping away, if we don't hang a right here and circle back around to the entrance of the cave, we'll find ourselves on Dante's part of the tour, and we certainly don't want that this evening. We've already lost one 
traveler. Let's not lose any more. Please be mindful of your balance in this part, folks. There is a bit of rapids and a small waterfall we're going to be dropping down. All right, folks, we're getting close to the end of our ride, but I'd like to point out that our ancestors are as they were in life. They have thoughts, opinions, feelings, prejudices, and sometimes even delusions, but they have great wisdom and direction if we choose to listen to them. They can be our guardians and our allies in magic. Not only that, unlike other spirits and familiars they have that we have to coax or bribe into working with us, the ancestors want a relationship with you. But keep in mind that relationship must be based on love, respect, honor, and service. Uh, they will work for you, but you must also work for them. Many people consider ancestor veneration to be the most important spiritual practice. To do this creates a link to where you are from. This is a powerful tool in and of itself, uh, one that will open doors to you that were previously unavailable. Your work will increase in power, and you will become stronger. You can also always go to them with any questions you may have. Many do divination with their ancestors. This can be done with any of the ordinary uh, tools and methods of divination you like. But it is recommended that you dedicate a divinatory object, especially to your ancestral altar, and only use it for the work that you do with your ancestors. So keep in mind that their consciousness spans space-time greater than our lifetimes, greater than their lifetimes, and you can get access to that through ancestral work specifically. Now, folks, this brings us around to the end of our tour. I do have a small assignment for you if you wish to take it up. That assignment is as follows. Go ahead and write up, and if you feel so inclined, begin the ritual of working with your ancestors. Remember, this is a relationship that needs to be nurtured and be actively engaged in regularly. Uh, maybe you will pour yourself a glass of milk every morning and pour a glass for your grandmother as well. Sit at the ancestral altar and share milk and discuss with those spirits each morning. However, you may want to engage with them. This is a powerful alley through which our magic and our life in general can be greatly enriched. And if any one of you out there are already doing ancestral work, I would love to hear from you. What kinds of things do you do? How do you communicate with your ancestors? And what is your general experience with this overall? Anyway, thank you all so much for joining us on this tour. If you wish for someone special you met along the way to follow you home tonight, please consider picking up a marigold on your way out, remove the petals, and leave a nice trail all the way back to your home. And that said, a very happy Sawen to you all. It's been nice seeing you, and I'm sure I'll be seeing you again real soon. Ha, ha, ha.